0: This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. spring into pre-emergent weed control action for canola and pulse crops with edge microactive powerful group three action takes out the broadest assortment of grass and broadleaf weeds including kochia wild buckwheat and barnyard grass before they can take over your crop use edge microactive as a part of your herbicide layering program to help maximize yields today and manage resistance tomorrow go to ca.gowanco.com for details always read and follow label directions from Gowan company
1: Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, editor of Top Crop Manager East, and I'm speaking today with Dylan Shirley, who you will all know as a recent co-host of our Inputs podcast. Dylan recently defended his master's thesis to earn a master's of science in the Department of Plant Sciences at the University of Saskatchewan, and his research focused on population dynamics of wheat stem sawfly in Canada and was supervised by Drs. Megan Van Kosky and Christian Willenberg. Welcome to the show, Dylan.
0: Thanks, Alex. It feels a little weird being on the other side of the podcast chair, but I'm very happy to be here.
1: Yeah, we put you in the hot seat. So this is part of our graduate student research showcase. But as Dylan has already completed his research, it'll be a little bit different. What drew you to pursue a master's of science in plant sciences at the University of Saskatchewan?
0: Sure. So I've kind of been in a bunch of different academic institutions over the last ten years. I worked at the University of Alberta for about four years. And right before I moved to the University of Saskatchewan, I was actually at Texas A&M University. And what kind of drew me to doing my MSc at at the University of Saskatchewan is there is the Agriculture and Agri-Foods Canada research station or the Research Development Center on campus there. So at the same time that I was able to do my uh, master's with the University of Saskatchewan. It was actually a joint research project with Agriculture and AgriFruits Canada, which I found as a very nice kind of in uh, if I did want to pursue uh, the government route and also being able to access all the different resources that the government would be, be able to provide.
1: I know the focus was on completing your master's and getting that research done, but were you engaged in any other research projects associated with that research development center?
0: A little bit. One of my supervisors, Dr. Megan Vankowski, is pretty big in the background work for the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network that spans uh, across uh, the Prairie provinces, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and kind of works to collect all this different trapping data for a number of different agriculture insects across the prairies. So uh, when I first joined, I helped out with a lot of their surveying. So, that was also for peel weevil, cabbage seed pod weevil, and a little bit of swede midge, but not really sweet midge. It was actually canola midge. But, but yeah, so that was uh, something else that I helped out with uh, agriculture and Ag Canada there.
1: Nice. As you mentioned, you've done a lot of other work and research with insects and connected with entomology. But why did you go with entomology? And for your research in particular, why wheat stem sawfly? fly?
0: So I think for entomology, uh, the short and sweet answer is I just find insects very fascinating. It was something that just in university I grabbed onto really quickly, just took one class and I was already hooked. But I think the field of entomology has treated me very well over the last 10 years. I mentioned that I was at Texas A&M University doing completely different stuff that I was doing to now. I've also been able to travel to Switzerland to work for a little bit. So it's in general, it's just been really exciting and just awesome just to kind of work in these different fields of entomology. Um, but for the Weedsome sawfly, what's something that I found very interesting is I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. And hearing about Weedsome sawfly throughout my studies, it was just something that I never really saw all that much, but there's just this wealth of research and knowledge over the last hundred and so years about how important this insect is. So when I was given the choice of which agriculture insect that I did want to look into, the wheat and some software just kind of popped right out. And I was like, okay, that's who I'm going to go for.
1: I guess, is there anything in particular about it or what makes it such a formidable pest?
0: Well, I think the first thing is uh, you can't really use chemical treatments on it. stem soft fly primarily, or I guess the life stage that is both the economic damaging life stage and the one that is pretty much the entirety of its uh, whole life cycle is the larva. And that sits inside of the wheat stem itself. So can't really target that with uh, any kind of treatment. So you have to really rely on the different cultivar that you're trying to use or the different variety of plant and the host plant resistance. Or what I also find very interesting is the aspect of biological control. So trying to rely on different natural enemies that can work against weeds and So it's not something that a farmer can just throw out a product at. It's kind of more of an integrated approach. And the one other thing for weeds and is that populations kind of pop up from you can have 10% stem cutting in your field one year and then it can dramatically increase the next year so it's definitely something where if a producer isn't aware of the severity of wheat some in their field and they go on a wheat wheat crop rotation or another post plant for a wheat some softwi, uh that can lead into some very uh, negative consequences for that field next year
1: I can imagine. So tell us a little bit about your research. What were your research objectives or the question you went into this with?
0: So the main question that I was tasked to tackle is looking at how uh, early season weather for weeds and fly um, and how that impacts its population dynamics on two different ways. So first, just looking at weeds and fly itself in its own biology, but then also looking at the natural enemies or the things that are Larval mortality factors for wheat stem sawfly. So, as I mentioned, there's the parasitoids um, in southern Alberta where I was doing most of my research. Uh, the dominant parasitoid is Cephy. It's a small, little orange, beautiful parasitoid wasp. And secondly, there's also uh, fungal infection that can actually cause mortality for wheat stem fly. So, part of my research, it was kind of split into two, was just to investigate what's actually happening in southern Alberta in these heavily infested wheat fields between the different growing seasons. So, I'd go out and sample post harvest wheat fields in, in the fall and re- revisit them in the spring. You know, COVID threw a nice wrench in a lot of my plans. So, I wasn't able to go back a ton of times, but overall, I was just trying to see if is there a difference in the larval mortality pressure caused by these different mortality factors and is it really linked or could it be linked to differences in the abiotic uh weather uh in the early spring months and then the second objective because i did want to look a little bit more in detail with wheat Software itself is how does the early season weather, when it can increase the development time for wheat and soft fly in that May, June timeframe, how does that influence adult life history traits for the wheat and soft fly? So I looked at uh, adult longevity, body size, egg load within the females, and also the, the fat content or the lipids within the individuals just as a proxy for energy resources. And then at the same time, because I think everything is a lot linked to the natural enemy and specifically Brachoncephi. I also looked at Brachoncephi to see if the the parasitoid itself can stay quite linked to its host uh, with the, the onset of having to go through the same kind of abiotic pressure during that time.
1: Why did you specifically look at the impact of early season weather?
0: So there's, there's two really interesting things about this. First, I guess the main overarching reason why we're looking at this is because the end goal um, for some Software in general is just to create a forecasting model or these kind of uh, phenology models that a producer would be able to use as another tool to allow them to uh, make more accurate or in more influential decisions with respect to their field. So the, the one of the last kind of Keys or you know pieces of the puzzle, let's say, is just this early season period where it just wasn't too clear if this was actually going to have a major influence on the overall population dynamics. So that was one reason. But another more specific reason with bueids and snowfly is there's a entomology term uh, diapause. So that's kind of just overwintering for insects, and what uh, I was more looking at is this post diapause development for wheat slum soft fly. And it's very interesting in the sense that if the right temperature kind of parameters aren't met, soft flies just don't develop. So if temperatures aren't above 15 degrees, they don't develop. If temperatures are above 35 degrees, uh, they might actually go back into that overwintering stage, or they might just desiccate and die. So Within that kind of frame, you can imagine that there might be some differences. And uh, previous research shows that if an individual is developing at 15 degrees, they take a much longer period of time compared to another individual that might have been developing at 25 degrees. So in terms of that, I thought that was very interesting and just trying to look to see if maybe there might be some negative consequences if that development period is extended. Because one other thing, I have a bunch of weedsome Soft facts just mm-hmm. floating in my head. But one other thing is that weedsome Soft as adults, uh, A, they're, they're very short-lived. The 7 to 14 days is how long the, they might live in nature. But uh, as adults, they don't really go seek out... Uh, energy resources, you know, floral um, resources from uh, flowers that might be on the side of the field. So they're not trying to actually acquire resources that might extend their life period. So that really means that any kind of metabolic resources, fat content, lipids that they get as a larvae flow all the way through to where they're adults. And all that is all dependent on that, those metabolic resources that uh, they got from the winter before so all together that kind of looked for me at least that early season weather and this time frame April, May, June is quite important for wheat some soft
1: Could you tell us a little bit about your conclusions and what you've learned throughout your project?
0: Sure so the first Objective: when I was looking at larval mortality factors in Alberta, uh, we were able to agree with some past research that was done by Hector Carcamo um, at uh, the Agriculture and Agri-Foods Canada in Lethbridge and show that the larval mortality factors aren't really differing be- over winter. So that's good. We were able to confirm something that we already know. But on top of that, uh, I was only able to do one field season where I was able to look at how springtime affected the mortality factors just because of covid hmm. but for that kind of the same thing i was able to show that the larval mortality factors and i guess larval mortality in general for weeds and soft fly does not change in the early season months largely because there's just no external pressure for weeds and soft fly at that time braconcephi is not active and they're not parasitizing things during those months so that creates a big void there. And then for other ways that might cause uh, an early death for wheat sem soft fly, they're actually quite protected once they're in their uh, wheat sem or their hibernaculum where they create that little stub uh, at the end of the field season. So it's also quite hard to get at them in there. So overall, it just kind of shows that even if there are some negative abiotic pressures or a biotic pressure, in those early months, it's really hard to actually get at the weeds and soft line there. So in terms of um, what that means to the greater population dynamics, it seems that abiotic um, factors during that time and also biotic factors are just not uh, all that influential. I say all that uh, going to my second research objective, because in terms of that post diaposit development period and the length, it seems like the longer that a weedsom sulfile has to develop. So meaning if there's early temperatures within those months that prolong the period that the weedsomsa has to go from you know larvae to a pupa to actually emerge as an adult, that has some negative consequences uh, within their adult life history. So from my research, I've found that adult longevity seemed to be decreased quite a bit in one of my study years where individuals were living around two days fewer than other individuals that are able to emerge earlier uh, due to higher temperatures that they're put under. Uh, As well as I saw that, at least in males, the lipid content decreased quite a bit. So that might be related to why the adult longevity had also decreased for them, just because of that idea that they have burned off these metabolic resources, trying to extend their life at that point and trying to get to that point where they can actually emerge. So, both very interesting results. Uh we didn't see a difference in body size or a difference in egg load. And those and body size and egg load are also uh, positively correlated. So, it wasn't it wasn't too surprising that we didn't see a result there. But in terms of what this means, like I said, weed some soft flies as uh, relatively short-lived. So, in that time frame, a female has to find a suitable mate and then they have to find a suitable host plant. So if you're already cutting off uh some of the days that they're actually able to do all these requirements to, you know, extend their population within a certain area, that leads me to believe that there might be something important there where something that's should be looked at uh further a little bit just to really verify to see if individuals have fewer days Does that mean that they're going to lay fewer eggs? In my mind, yes. So in terms of what that means for the population dynamics in a whole, it means that you might start to see some local uh, populations decrease or even just could be wiped out just because the individuals themselves just didn't have enough time to go through the whole process and make sure that they're properly laying eggs in the correct host plants that will allow their population to proliferate.
1: Now, I'm guessing that like other cereal plants will be also hosts for the wheat stem sawfly.
0: Yeah, there's a, uh, in total, uh, I believe there's 40 different host plants, both cultivated and uncultivated grasses, but the main ones are for a cultivated, it would be, you know, all different kinds of wheat, including durum and as well, uh, barley and rye. So there are other host plants that they can use, but uh, there's been a few different studies just looking at uh, oviposition or egg laying from the females and just their overall preference. And there seems to be some outlying preference for the, at least the different varieties that when uh, a female is given or provided to, but and in turn, one of those other things that make wheat and soft such a formidable pest is it's able to utilize so many different plants, you know, not to the same success as, you know, what wheat provides, but unfortunately it seems that uh, they will find a way to make sure that at least one of their eggs finds a good host.
1: Are there any highlights from your research that you'd like to share?
0: Uh, so I've, I've mentioned a few times, uh, but I had to do this entirely through COVID. And my first field season was March 2020. So as part of not being able to go to the university and go to the research development center to do this, uh, I largely did my first year out of my house. So it just so happened that I moved into a two-story townhouse that had an unfinished basement that was quite colder than the rest of the house. So going back to the, the development temperature range for post diapause for wheat, some soft fly, I found that that basement just so happened to be within the perfect temperature range. And it, it was just very happen sense, but that allowed me to do almost the entirety of the experiment from home, uh, much to the uh, chagrin of my partner because uh, I had to have, uh you know, 400 and some insects, which was also fun when, you know, people would walk by. I'd be like, oh, you want to see my bugs? Uh Very weird, but that's okay. Um And then it, I think it was just, just having to go through this entire process through COVID and just being able to still get fantastic results at the end of the day and things that, you know, you can always kind of hum and haw and be like, oh, if only I did this and only if I looked at that. But I think a lot of the people, my graduate student friends, uh, fellow researchers uh, were kind of flying at the sea of their pants for the last couple of years. And just for me trying to uh, get to this point and be happy with what I did, I think is phenomenal and very fun that I did it all out of my house.
1: Yeah. Serendipitous that your basement was the perfect lab setting. What do you hope grows out of your research?
0: Sure. Well, yeah, I think in a perfect world, I would take what I learned over the last few years and just refine it. For other things, I think maybe just be a bigger banner for how important some of the natural enemies are. There are the solid sem cultivars or the varieties that uh, wheat producers can use, and that's—I'm not trying to dissuade that. That's actually quite an important way to defend yourself or defend your your yields from wheat some softy. But there's also these free natural enemies that are flying around your fields that are looking and attacking wheat some softy. So I think part of what I kind of hope is that through talking about Weeds some and Bracon Cephy and, Brackon, Cephi and uh, the other natural enemies, producers start to invest time into not only verifying if they have natural enemies working in their fields, but also make sure that they stay around. One of the best ways to do so is just leaving a larger amount of stubble when uh, going through your field. So zero to 30 centimeters will protect where uh Bracon safi actually overwinters. So that's just an, another really easy way just to make sure that you're not destroying you know, the, the extra free labor that's working in your field.
1: In case you don't come back to inputs, is there anything you'd like to say?
0: Oh, yeah. So like Alex had mentioned, I, I have a new career. That I am very fortunate and happy to be starting in, in the next couple of weeks here. That is not agricultural focused anymore. But what, what I like to say is I've just had a great time uh, being the host for inputs. This has been a lot of fun. I've a lot of these episodes over the last couple of months may have seemed a little insect heavy or focused. And uh that might have, you know, just been my Uh, persistence to interview some of the entomology folk within Canada but outside that I've been able to learn a whole lot about the different agriculture trends and uh, the different provinces and even within my own province I think overall I've had a phenomenal time being the co-host and who knows maybe maybe I'll be able to continue on but if not it's been one of the coolest things that I've ever done.
1: We've been really lucky to have you and yeah, I'll keep my fingers crossed that at some point we can have you back.
0: That would be fantastic.
1: Thank you so much, Dylan.
0: Thanks, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.